Welcome to Across Acoustics, the official podcast of the Acoustical Society of America's Publications Office. On this podcast, we will highlight research from our four publications, the Journal of the Acoustical Society of America, also known as JAZA, JAZA Express Letters, Proceedings of Meetings on Acoustics, also known as POMA, and Acoustics Today. I'm your host, Amber Phillips, Business Administrator for the ASA. Joining me today is Jack Terhune of the Department of Biological Sciences at the University of New Brunswick. We'll be discussing his article, Waddell Sills Produce Ultrasonic Vocalizations, which appeared in the December 2020 issue of JASA. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today, Jack. How are you doing? Oh, fine. Thank you. Um, can you give us a bit of background on yourself? Well, about 50 years ago, I started working with uh, a project uh, at the master's level looking to try to determine if seals echolocate the same abilities that dolphins and bats have. Uh, the question was, how do they find their food when they're uh, in the wintertime, when they're diving deep below the ocean surface where it's very dark? And uh, at that time, echolocation in dolphins and porpoises was just really beginning to, to uh, studies were beginning to get underway. And so we wondered if, if seals did the same thing. So as part of that study, uh, I began by studying the hearing abilities of the seals, basically the same as humans have for a regular hearing test. We just train the animal to respond to sound and it tells us when it can hear it and, and what it can't hear. And at the same time, we made some uh, high-frequency recordings uh, on sea ice in amongst the harp seal breeding herd. And we're, again, we were trying to see if we could actually hear any echolocation-type uh, signals. And the long and the short of it is that uh, the seals do not uh, have the echolocation abilities to the same degree that uh, dolphins and porpoises do. But they hear uh, very well underwater, and they have a very wide variety of uh, vocalizations. Different types, yeah. Okay, and uh, what can you tell us about Waddell seals? Well, they they live around uh, Antarctica, and they tend to inhabit the really heavy ice areas, that is, uh, thick pack ice or landfast ice. And uh, during the winter, the sea ice uh, will freeze up to 200 to 300 kilometers out from the coast. Uh, so, so that will be a completely solid sheet of ice. Uh, by the, toward the end of the winter, it's about two meters thick. And uh, what happens in the um, spring, and, and well, sorry, in the summer, the uh, sea ice, basically most of it melts away and begins to reform uh, in May. And as it reforms, uh, some seals will move into that area and they maintain breathing holes through the ice really from, from as soon as it starts to, uh, to develop and such. And so they will maintain breathing holes um, all, all winter long. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in the spring, in the austral spring in uh, October, the females will come up uh, on, onto the ice and have their pups. The pups are nursed for four to six weeks. And uh, while this is going on, uh, dominant males will establish underwater territories uh, under the, the group of the, uh, well, where, where the females are. 
and they defend their territories very vigorously uh, by using very high amplitude vocalizations, particularly trills and uh, other, other and other call types. And if an intruder male comes in and is not scared away by the shouting, so to speak, uh, they will they physically beat up on one another. And so, so it's not to the extent of elephant seals, but it's quite a <laughs> it could be quite a, uh, a defense. Uh, so the seals that they uh, they live in this uh, <clears throat> very heavy ice uh, pack ice for most of the year. Um, we think that during the the winter, when there's a little bit of light in the sky, although they're uh, just south of the most of them are just south of the uh, polar circle, they um, there's some light uh, by twilight uh, throughout the year, and it's in the middle of the day when there is light, that we think that they spend a lot of their time uh, feeding at that time. Mm-hmm. And and we infer this because they're vocally quite quiet. Uh, such. And so for, but during the night, um, and particularly uh, at the equivalent of dusk and dawn, uh, they're vocally quite active. And so they, they seem to maintain a constant uh, communication among individuals uh, such throughout the, uh, the season. Uh, they're quite a large seal. They're uh, close to three meters long uh, and a couple of hundred kilos. And uh, one nice um, a- attribute about their behavior is that because they have evolved in an area where there are no predators, no land-based predators, um, they're not afraid of humans. Okay. And so you can work around them um, quite easily. And, and they will return to um, a very normal sort of behaviors within 10 or 20 minutes after a helicopter has flown away and you dropped off. So, so they're really, um, they're nice animals to study. Uh, as such. So if you go right up to them and, and, and approach them, um, then they will sort of defend themselves. But if you just back off a couple of meters, they'll, they'll not pay attention to you as such. Um, before the study, what was known about the underwater vocalization of Waddell seals? Well, the underwater vocalizations were first recorded uh, by some researchers at McMurdo Sound in the late 1960s and then again more uh, thoroughly in the 1970s. And it was determined at that time that they uh, have a very wide, uh, large vocabulary. Um, They make a whole series of calls. Many of them sound very much like bird whistles. But there's also, so there's chirps, but there's also a lot of uh, whistles and uh, low-frequency calls, grunts and groans and chucks. Um, the males produce trills, which are, they start off at a very high frequency, um, higher than, than we had previously believed in this recent uh, work. But they will drop um, from below around 20 kilohertz, the upper range of human hearing, uh, right down to about 60 hertz. Uh, a span of about 14 octaves, so it's a very wide uh, range. Uh, these trills can last for uh, over a minute. Most are 15 to 30 seconds, but some of them are running between one and two minutes long of continuous sound exposure, uh, sound production. They are uh, produced with the mouth and nostrils closed uh, so, uh, underwater. And from some on-ice observations, we believe that they are produced by in the larynx, mm-hmm. um, the, the voice box of, of most mammals, and that the sound sort of projects forward uh, out of the front of the throat. Uh, we don't know how they uh, make this, uh, the sound, although it is uh, source-driven. 
such. Um, in addition to the large number of different call types, uh, Weddell seals exhibit geographic variation in their calls, something equivalent to, to dialects in, in human uh, considerations. And groups that are as close as five or 600 kilometers apart will have often distinctive uh, calls as such. And that suggests that the, uh, both the males and the females are really staying close to home. Um, they remain in the area where they were, uh, typically where, well, where they were born as such. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the calls um, have a very high amplitude. Uh, they're really able to effectively shout underwater and under perfect conditions of deep water, no intervening uh, islands. In theory, um, one seal can hear another seal at a range of 30 kilometers or more. Now, most of the um, communication ranges are, are lower than that uh, because of uh, they're being blocked by islands and icebergs, etc. But they, they really... Um, they can produce a call that's about 120 decibels above their hearing threshold. That's a little louder than a human can shout in air as such. And so the, uh, the high amplitudes and the fact that sound conducts very well through water results in these very long, uh, long distance ranges. Um, both males and females make calls. And we know that for sure because we've seen uh, adult females that are up on the ice and uh, sometimes they'll, they'll dream and they'll call while they're dreaming uh, as such, which is kind of different. And also, if you do run up and approach a, uh, a female too close, she'll make some defensive calls as well, again, with the mouth and nostrils closed, uh, such. And in addition, uh, if you really get close, they'll growl at you and uh, try to bite you. But that's, uh, yeah. we just, you just stand, well, any, any animal would defend itself. So we just have to uh, keep a bit of a distance. Um, some of the males in particular, we know, will make sequences of calls. Uh, they can make, uh, say, uh, a low frequency roar and then a mid frequency roar and then a trill and then a series of chirps. And individual males will tend to do that in in a sequence, as such. And it may be a way that the males uh, can identify themselves as a specific individual, while producing call types that are uh, common to the uh, most of the uh, oh, most common to the species in that area, as such. And um, can you describe how how ultrasonic underwater vocalization works? Yeah, the ultra, the seals, and this is the recent uh, work that was uh, done by Paul Zico and his colleagues, uh, Linda uh, Munger and, and Nick Santos. Uh, they made a series of recordings at McMurdo, near McMurdo Station, and they had the, they established the McMurdo Oceanography Observation um, Unit, which was a submerged uh, device, and it recorded oceanographic features and sound and, and was able to take pictures within up to a couple of hundred meters uh, visibility. And so they, uh, over a number of years, starting in 2017, uh, recorded uh, continuously or close to continuously for uh, about two, close to two years. Mm-hmm. And um, as part of that study, they, they picked up a lot of, of Weddell seal calls that were the seals that were in the area. And they um, 
sort of brought me in, into the study at that time to sort of help out, work out sort of what was going on. The um, Prior to that, um, there had been really very little work in the high frequency range, simply because of, of limitations of the recorders. Uh, the field recorders, most of the field recorders that I've used, were actually built for um, humans recording music on, etc. And so they stopped at 20 kilohertz. And uh, we'd had some indication that some of the calls were as high as 20 kilohertz. And then with uh, Paul Zico's results, uh, we really confirmed that there were uh, calls, uh, a number of different call types at, at very high frequencies, up to as high as, as 50 kilohertz. Uh, as such. And so that's kind of important because it, uh, we believe from other studies that the seals can probably hear up to 60 to maybe 70 kilohertz is the likely upper frequency range. And, and the fact that they're making calls at, at 50 kilohertz, uh, suggests that they must be able to hear them as well, uh, at, at that, those high pitches. Um, so the calls, the high, the ultrasonic calls, Many of them had the same frequency shift patterns uh, as the lower frequency calls that we've heard before. So uh, their trills start off at a high frequency and then drop down over time to lower ones as such. Uh, their chirps and whistles, uh, and as well as some constant frequency sort of tones, uh, virtually pure tones that go on for um, five or six seconds, whatever. We'd heard those types of calls at the lower frequencies. And, and then this recent work then shows that indeed the animals are producing uh, similar calls uh, in terms of the frequency re- uh, shifts at, at these very high frequencies. It also, uh, this work has uh, demonstrated that we are, uh, the previously low frequency or sonic calls that were recorded were only picking up a part of the overall signals. Uh, there were a number of call types in which the call started off at an ultrasonic frequency and then dropped right down to, to well below uh, one or two kilohertz, so a complete frequency shift. And some of the uh, complex uh, sequences of calls that we had previously detected, we now believe will have had ultrasonic components that we didn't have here before. So there's a greater complexity in the, in the calls. Uh, one important um, uh, observation as well with associated with the ultrasonic calls is that in water, high frequency sound is absorbed very rapidly as it moves through 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 the medium, where the low frequency uh, sound is, is not. Mm-hmm. So when we're uh, listening to seals at, at, at a distance, we really pick up the low frequency components of their calls. Now, with these high-frequency uh, calls, then it appears likely that they will be behaviorally uh, associated with calls directed to animals in the immediate vicinity, as such. Whereas the really low-frequency calls, these loud, uh, really high-amplitude trills, they're more of a broadcast call. Um, I think the males are probably sending two signals. One is to attract females. Um, they're establishing that, they're, that they've established a territory. And the second thing is to probably repel other males. Um, we don't know exactly why they make the calls at such a high amplitude, 
but it could well be that if I can shout louder than you can, I'm probably bigger than you are. And so if you're another male, stay away. But if you're a female, uh, I'm very fit and uh, would make a very good mate uh, as such. So that's... uh, We've also found that the uh, high-frequency call, the proportion of the different call usage changes over the season. And in in Paul Zico's study, he found that there's a different pattern of utilization of calls between recordings that were made in the middle of winter with 24 hours of no sunlight and calls made uh, in the late spring when it was 24 hours of sunlight. So this suggests that some of the call types will have a different um, behavioral function. But in general, aside from the trills that that only the males make, we really haven't been able to establish the behavioral function of the different call types. We don't know why they have such a wide range of call types. And um, so there's some reason for them to be very diverse. Uh, There can be, well, there's probably well over 100 call types when you take in the geographical variation. Uh, And so they've got this very wide diversity of calls, which uh, was expanded to these higher frequencies. And um, with a few exceptions, uh, it's not been possible to observe the animals while they're calling, because we're up on top of the ice recording, Mm-hmm. And the seals are uh, under the ice uh, making the calls. Now, their co- underwater calls are loud enough uh, that humans on the ice can hear them uh, coming up through the ice, which is kind of spooky in a way. Yeah. Uh, and we also believe that the females that are on the ice likely hear the calls as well. Mm-hmm. So there's some sort of one-way uh, communication between the males that are defending the underwater territory and the females that are up on the ice uh, nursing their pups. And uh, the pups are weaned uh, probably four to five to six weeks after they're born. And at that time, the females come into estrus and, and will mate. So the, uh, so the males and the female groups that are, are formed, um, it, it's worth the male's while to sort of establish this territory because there's a very high probability that the females will mate with that particular male. Otherwise, they, they wouldn't bother because it's a, it's a lot of work calling yeah. <laughs> and staying underwater most of the time. Yeah. Oh, they have their own little language there. <laughs> okay. Um, what was learned from the study that was not discovered from previous studies on Waddell cells? Well, we, the complexity and the numbers of uh, high-frequency ultrasonic call types, um, that was new. Um, and, and in a way, it was a bit unexpected. Um, in the 19, uh, late 1970s, recordings from recordings at Myrtle, a researcher at the time, uh, did some uh, short <coughs> recordings of high frequency ampli- or high frequencies and didn't actually pick up any, any sounds. And so uh, she had proposed that uh, all of the calls were in the uh, sonic range. And from uh, work with other species, uh, particularly the harp seals from the northern hemisphere, who are almost uh, as loquacious as the Weddell seals, and they have about 30 or 40 uh, call types, um, their call types did not suggest any, anything that would be a high frequency. And so I think the number and diversity 
of the higher frequency calls that uh, Paul Zico recorded uh, was a bit unexpected as such. Uh, we've also worked out, because one of the, uh, the uh, McMurdo Oceanographic Observatory that, that Paul was using uh, did have a camera, and there were a few occasions when a seal swam by and vocalized at the same time. Mm. And uh, he was able then uh, to determine, first of all, that it was a seal that was vocalizing, and he noted that they were, uh, the seal was chirping, giving downward chirps, and it was moving its head with every chirp. So there is something, um, somehow it was probably using some overall movements of the neck and throat to generate air or to pass air sort of across the vocal uh, folds. So it, that was certainly a definite um, indication that it was a, a Weddell seal that was calling. Also, because of he's able to estimate the distance that the seal was and then determine the source level. And what he found was that the high-frequency calls were at a lower amplitude than the lower-frequency calls. Mm. So they can generate these really high pitches, but not at the high amplitude of the lower, uh, of the lower frequencies. So that, and that may give us some, some indication of how they're actually producing uh, these sounds. We, we really don't know how they're able to achieve it. I mean, how can an animal with a mouth and nostrils closed, just using air in the trachea and, and the throat, uh, produce a continuous pure tone whistle uh, for over 60 seconds? Wow. There's yet work to be done. <laughs> um, so, Ford, can we expect more studies about ultrasonic underwater vocalization? Yes, and that's really due in part to the advent of technology. As I mentioned uh, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, when I was doing most of my recordings, the equipment that I, I had was limited to an upper frequency of, of 20 kilohertz. Now it, it's very common uh, with digitization for uh, a higher frequency sampling. <clears throat> it's just technically possible. Uh, people are recording sounds now as high as uh, 200 kilohertz over long periods of time. And so that's really uh, going to uh, allow uh, well, new researchers to really uh, use the, the full uh, frequency uh, spectrum, um, not only for the Weddell seals, but for other seals, and particularly the uh, dolphins and porpoises in particular. Is that Another advent of modern technology is the ability to record for extremely long periods of time. I say in the uh, late late 60s, when I started recording uh, harp seal calls on the sea ice, uh, we had a portable tape recorder. It was reel to reel, and a tape would last for 15 minutes, and you'd have to change it. Uh, by the 1990s, their digital audio tapes uh, came along, and they would record for two hours at a time, which was nice. Uh, now, there's, uh, scientists are putting down devices that are literally recording for a year at a time, continuously. Uh, and this is leading to massive amounts of, of data, terabytes, literally, but also to the challenge of what you do with... <laughs> 
that many hours or that many minutes of recording. Mm-hmm. And so uh, many uh, researchers now are, are developing an automated call recognizers. And they're able then to um, apply the recognizer so they run the tape or the recording, I should say, um, just analyze the whole thing. And the recognizer will tell when it thinks it hears a particular call type. And that's going to be, I think, a real boon because it will allow uh, economic uh, people to gather uh, massive amounts of, of information. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2002, uh, one of my students uh, at a different, uh, Davis, Antarctica, rec- did 24-hour recordings manually and was able, uh, because of logistics, to do uh, two, uh, two days a month mm-hmm. as such. Uh, nowadays, people can put it out uh, come back six months later and have that entire time filled with uh, uh, frequencies that, that cover the entire range of the uh, of the animals' calls and such. Mm-hmm. And so, with the ability to develop automatic recognizers, it's possible to actually analyze all that data. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for taking the time to educate us on these wonderful cells. We look forward to seeing more of your research. Oh, thank you. Here are some clips of the vocalization of the Waddell seals. Check out this Jazzer article to learn more. Ultrasonic Vocalization Sequences of the Weddell Seal from McMurdo Sound, Antarctica, recorded in 2017 and 2018. Modified audio file. Audio data reduced to one quarter of original frequencies presented at normal speed. Normally inaudible ultrasonic seal vocalizations are audible. Type U101. Type W101. Type W one O two Thank you for tuning in to Across Acoustics. If you'd like to hear more interviews from authors about their research, Hit subscribe and find us on your preferred podcast platform.